Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 200. Today's topic is Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal Part 2. This program is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net, and you can find more of this content by visiting theclimatereport.net. So what we are doing is reading through and commenting on Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. This is not an endorsement of Bernie Sanders. Uh, And on this show, we talk about the publications and the policy proposals of a whole range of political actors on our scene, including the Green Party and candidates like Jill Stein, including other Democratic candidates like Tulsi Gabbard, including the Democratic Party platform and the Republican Party platform. So I've taken Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal and numbered it, numbered the paragraphs. There's 165 paragraphs altogether, and we're on paragraph four. So let's go. It says here, as president, Bernie Sanders will boldly, boldly embrace the moral imperative of addressing the climate crisis and act immediately to mobilize millions of people across the country in support of the Green New Deal. Now, let's look at this phrase that says, mobilize millions of people. Now, there's a strong philosophical current in our society that does not trust government and that says government is not, you know, says that only the free market system, only the unfettered capitalism is creating, is capable of creating jobs. But the exact opposite is true. The same people who don't want you to believe that government is capable of creating jobs are in favor of spending trillions of dollars on the military alone and that spending creates jobs for soldiers and it creates jobs for people who work for government contractors such as Boeing and Halliburton and all of the weapons manufacturers and any number. You can't think of a type of service that is not provided to the government, to the military, by private businesses. So government spending does create jobs, but Unfortunately, many of the jobs that are created are for destructive purposes, such as the military. No disrespect to the people who serve in the military, and in fact, most of the people who serve in the military do so because they need a job. How many people would rather, instead of working for the military in a military job, would rather have a job doing something that's actually good for humanity, such as, and now here's some things, here are some industries, some jobs and industries that need to be funded by the government and will serve to create jobs for millions of people. We need people to work in the industry related to solar panels, solar power generation. We need engineers and technicians and planners to, you know, to move forward 
power, the solar power technology in our society. We need engineers and technicians related to wind power generation. We need engineers and technicians related to the state-of-the-art energy grid that we need to optimize the use of solar power and wind power generation. We need engineers and technicians and planners and managers to work in the area of mass transit. Now, everything I just named, a dollar of spending creates many more jobs, creates about three times as many jobs as if you're spending money on the military or fossil fuels. So when you're creating whole new industries and whole new technologies, that creates more jobs than spending money on the same old, same old, tired and destructive industries such as defense and fossil fuels. Similarly, another industry where we need to employ people is in home, is in building efficiency, uh, building energy efficiency, whether it's residential buildings or retail buildings or uh, warehouse type buildings. They're innumerable buildings that could and should be retrofitted for greater efficiency. That is going to create a lot of jobs. Plus, it's something that cannot be outsourced. It's not something that you can send to China because the work needs to be done here. Another area, a couple of related areas where we need to employ people and get work done. One is in the area of local sustainable food production, food production and retailing. So we need to transfer, transition from this ridiculous, rapacious agribusiness system that we have, and we need to transfer to local, sustainable food production. We need for our food to be tastier and more nutritious because it is grown locally. That means we need people to do that, to make that transition happen. I was talking to somebody the the other day, and they said, well, people don't know how to grow food. Well, People don't know how to, how to uh, you know, pilot fighter planes either until we train them to do that. We train people to do that, which is important. Unfortunately, a huge amount of our economy is dedicated to training people to do things that are fundamentally, inherently destructive, such as military activity. So we've got all of these areas in which government can and should spend money. Solar power generation, wind power generation, we could be creating jobs in those industries. State-of-the-art electric grid, we could be creating jobs and whole new industries if we spend money on that. Mass transit, we could be not only creating jobs but whole new industries if we spend money on that. Energy building energy efficiency retrofitting. We could create not a whole new industry, but lots and lots and lots of jobs if we spend money on that. We need to be spending money on local food production. Also, we need to be spending money on uh, ecological landscaping. Our landscapes are food deserts for bees, butterflies, and birds. Our landscapes need to be rich places for 
habitat for bees, butterflies, and birds, and our forests need to be enriched so that they can provide better, um, you know, so they can do a better job of providing habitat for our bees, butterflies, and birds. I have just named seven or eight major areas where it should be totally and completely common sense that the government needs to spend money on these things instead of spending money on the military, which destroys things. How many young people, or not so young people, would love to have a job that is basically, fundamentally, helping to create a better world. That is what we want. Too often, people in our economy that is owned and controlled by capitalists, too many, I mean, people in our economy typically have to make the choice between doing something that pays good money or doing something that is rewarding. People would be willing to work for less if they could get a job that is rewarding and helps to make the world a better place. For that matter, we need to do a better job of paying our teachers. We need to do a better job of paying our social workers. We need to make sure that uh, firefighters and policemen and miners uh, don't have their pensions taken away from them by calculating capitalists and the politicians that they're in bed with. The next sentence says, From the Oval Office to the streets, Bernie will generate the political will necessary for a wholesale transformation of our society with support for frontline and vulnerable communities and massive investments in sustainable energy, energy efficiency, and a transformation of our transportation system. So, key word here, key phrase, wholesale transformation of our society. We do not have a situation that requires tweaking around the edges. We, do, we have a situation that requires a wholesale transformation of our society. But the thing is, that wholesale transformation can be a positive thing every step of the way. What we have right now is a politics of fear. The powers that be want you to be afraid of change they, because they're making quite a lot of money, thank you, under business as usual. People that are making quite a lot of money, thank you, in business as usual, do not want to change from business as usual to another system, even if that other system would work much, 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 much better for almost everybody. We have, what we have now is a system where a few people have a stranglehold on our system and don't care if the entire planet dies as long as they get to make a little bit more profit in the short term. That may sound outrageous, but it's a fair and apt description of people who run the fossil fuel companies. It's a fair and apt description of the people who run the defense contractor companies. It's a fair and apt description of the people who run the big agribusiness companies. They are at war with life on this planet, including human life. 
I don't mean they're particularly vicious as people. If you met them, they would seem like the nicest people you ever met. But systemically, there is a war against life on this planet, and people need to decide which side are you on. Are you on the side of, uh, are you for life on this planet, or are you against life on this planet? It is time to choose, and it is time for us citizens to call out those pundits and politicians and plutocrats that are on the wrong side of the war on life on earth. One key phrase here is that, you know, under the Sanders Green New Deal, we will be providing support for frontline and vulnerable communities. This includes the predominantly white coal miners of Kentucky, where I live. This includes the indigenous tribes all over the world, especially in the United States. This includes people of color who are, for, who are currently forced to live near toxic and polluting industries at the expense of their health. This includes uh, people of color who are forced to work in industries that are harmful to your health. It is time that we go to bat for frontline and vulnerable communities and make massive investments to support frontline and vulnerable communities. It is time we stop making massive investments only in things that support the very rich. Currently, our society is organized by and for the very rich. And when it comes to making massive investments, they, the very rich are able to manipulate and coerce the government into making massive investments that make money for them and prevent the government from making massive investments in actual people. That needs to change. So what massive investments are we talking about? Well, it says here we're talking about massive investments in sustainable energy, energy efficiency, and a transformation of our transportation system. So massive investments in sustainable energy including, include the ability to generate energy from solar power. Uh, there are people who, you know, I call them the defenders of business as usual, and they'll say things like, well, solar power is not efficient, or just any scare tactic designed to slow down the process of transitioning to solar power. By contrast, those same people probably applaud the effort of the United States government in the 1940s in World War II to create the nuclear bomb, which was done in two or three years, you know, probably a period of about three years. It took a massive investment. It, it's one of the most amazing scientific accomplishments ever. It's too bad that that scientific accomplishment is almost exclusively destructive. We should never have invented nuclear weapons or nuclear power. We should have left that, it's like Pandora's box, we should have left that in the bag, you know, to mix, mix a metaphor. But we are capable 
of amazing scientific achievements, the only question is whether those scientific achievements are going to be primarily for the benefit of the very rich and the very few, or whether we are willing to pursue scientific achievements that are primarily for the benefit of the very many. So it says here we need to be making massive investments in sustainable energy uh, and energy efficiency. So energy efficiency includes like energy efficiency related to our homes and the buildings in which we live, work, and play. Energy efficiency also includes the state-of-the-art energy grid that we need so as to optimize the use of solar power and wind power. So one thing that the defenders of business as usual say is that solar power and wind power are intermittent. You know, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow, so we're going to have to so solar and wind are not a good solution and in any event even if you have solar and wind power you need that to be supplemented by coal and oil and natural gas so why should we do this massive transition when we're going to need coal and oil and natural gas anyway so you have all these naysayers who are just, you know, going to bat for the fossil fuel companies. But intermittency, okay, so intermittency is an issue. But I heard something the other day, I can't quote you chapter and verse, something like, I think it was from Holland. You know, Holland has a great deal, uh, gets a great deal of their energy from wind. They have less power outages than we do. So the question is, if you have solar and wind energy, how many power outages do you have? And is that any more serious than the power outages we have under a fossil fuel system? It makes sense to, to start immediately with massive investments in solar and wind energy so we can develop that technology so that we can get off of these toxic, polluting fossil fuels. Another key phrase here is transformation of our transportation system. So our transportation system needs to be transformed. So, you know, some of us, most of us, cannot imagine a system in which we reduce our automobiles by 90%. I recommend, I, my proposal, Hart Hagen's proposal, is that we reduce automobiles by 90%. And we do that like yesterday, we do that ASAP. It can't happen immediately, but we have a serious problem and we need to be very serious about a rapid transform, uh, transformation from automobiles to alternative clean forms of transportation. And one thing that you'll never hear on cable news or read about in the commercial for-profit newspapers or anything on the internet that is supported by commercial interests, you'll never hear that 
automobiles represent slavery and automobiles represent bondage. Automobiles do not represent freedom or prosperity. Automobiles represent milking the average person for all the money they've got or milking the average person for more money than they should be milked for. Why? Because the average automobile costs $10,000 per year to operate. Now, that's average, and, you know, there are people who operate automobiles for maybe $5,000 a year or $8,000 a year, but whatever the case, the automobile is a huge hit to the family budget. Add to that the idea that some families, I would say the average family needs two cars. Not all families need two cars, but you know, a household is 2.6 people, and if you have two drivers in a household, then you most places you've got two cars. But the thing is, most people don't want to live in a place where cars are the only mode of transportation. You need a car. In American society, you need a car to live a normal life. We need to, we don't, it doesn't have to be that way. That needs to change. So we need to, uh, you know, we need to plan for a time when most people live within a convenient distance of train lines. And if most people live a convenient distance from train lines, then they will be able to use trains to get places. You know, we're led to believe just for the, from the, just because of the fear of the unknown, we are led to believe that putting in a train system is complicated. But it's not as complicated as this damn system of highways where, you know, I mean, look at, look at, you know, when you're on a major highway or, you know, whether it's an interstate highway or whether it's a major artery uh, to and from the downtown where you live, you can look out your windshield and see 30, 40, 50 cars easily. That is a huge amount of traffic. You know, we, so we sit in traffic and we breathe fumes. We get around, you know, how much does the average car weigh? 4,000, 5,000 pounds. So we're hauling around a 4,000-pound hunk of metal, vinyl, and plastic in order to get from one place to another. It is hugely inefficient. It is polluting. It is inefficient. It need not be that way. And most people, given the choice, would rather ride a train than sit behind the wheel of a car and breathe fumes. So I looked it up. The average car weighs 2,800 pounds, and also the average car has 1.9 passengers. So if you consider the fact that some cars have three or four passengers, the the typical car has one, I mean, the typical car has a driver and no passengers. So typical situation on the highway, we have 2,800 pounds of metal, vinyl, and plastic uh, and and fossil fuels uh, driving around uh, one person. The, that, that, is, that is a bad ratio. That's a terrible ratio. Take it, uh, also take into account the amount of pollution, the water pollution and the 
air pollution that is needed in order to make a highway and we're not doing anything but widening our highways highways are always under construction it ruins the scenery it ruins the landscape it is not necessary it is not what people want and we need to be willing to call out those politicians that pretend as if this transportation system is just okay because it's not just okay. It needs to change. Paragraph 5 in Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. If you want my numbered version of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, then just email info at theclimatereport.net. Paragraph number 5 says, we need a president who has the courage, the vision, and the record to face down the greed of fossil fuel executives and the billionaire class who stand in the way of our of climate action, stand in the way of climate action. We need a president who welcomes their hatred. Bernie will lead our country to enact the Green New Deal and bring the world together to defeat the existential threat of climate change. So a key phrase in this paragraph is, welcome their hatred. That's echoing what FDR said when he said, you know, the the bankers and the industrialists hate me and I welcome their hatred. You know, just FYI, I'm not endorsing Bernie Sanders. I'm not endorsing any political candidate. I just want you to know who's who and what's what in terms of the candidates and their policies. But Bernie Sanders is the only candidate that is supported by zero billionaires. Tulsi Gabbard has one billionaire who is supporting her. And Pete Buttigieg has, is top of the list, he has like, you know, 18 or, you know, some number, but a a lot of, you know, Pete Buttigieg has a lot of billionaires supporting him. So isn't that a good indicator? If I were running for president, I would want zero billionaires uh, supporting me. Because being a billionaire is, is obscene. Uh, you know, we could, if we wanted to go down that path, talk about how is money large amounts of money, is it helpful or harmful? So we are taught in our so-called free market system that when people, that, that inequality is a good thing, that when people have a lot of money, they've earned it, we should let them keep it, yada, yada. As if when, you, when, you're, a, as if when you're a billionaire, you have not robbed people to get it. But, you know, if you look at the ways that people earn, when somebody is a billionaire, if you look at the ways that they earn all that money, you have to rob somebody in order to make that money. And once you have that money, you use it to extort and extract even more. I'm not saying that reasonable prosperity is a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that millionaires are bad people. But then, you know, the system that we have, the capitalist system, I've heard it said that there's no ethical consumption in capitalism. So in capitalism, whatever you consume is a result of exploiting somebody, whether it's food or automobiles or cell phones, whatever we have has resulted from the exploitation of people the exploitation of their labor, destroying their environment, etc., destroying the climate, 
So we have a system that is inherently exploitative. And when people have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of money, such as billionaires, it just means that they have been the best at exploiting labor and the environment. Such people should not be rewarded. They should be taxed out of existence. So I've got about a minute left. Let me leave you with something to think about. So we have a system in which we have been encouraged to, th to think that when people have a lot of money, then, then that's good. They have been successful. We've been taught that when people have a lot of money, it's because they have contributed to society. And there is a small grain of truth in that, just enough to make it a big fat lie. Most of the money, when you're talking about very wealthy people, most of the money they have has been a result of exploiting people. Most of the money they have would not have been possible if it weren't for a highly exploitative system that puts our very existence at risk. So I'm saying that we need to question everything we've ever been taught. I'm saying we need to rethink everything we've ever been taught. Not least of all, this silly notion that having lots and lots and lots and lots of money is inherently good. Having lots and lots of money gives people the power to, to kill, steal, and destroy. But that's a whole other conversation. Please email info at theclimatereport.net if you, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. Have a great day.